MFs, welcome back to Hustle Like You Broke, where today we are joined by not three, but four of my favorite MFs on the planet, Miss Christine Dallas. Hello, hello. Mr. Kyle Hamilton. Keto Thursdays. My brother Banks. What's happening? With the warbly drink. I hear the ice. I love it. And for the first time ever, hopefully not the last, might become an honorary host, depending on how he does today. This is a little audition. He doesn't know this yet. The one and only Ian Simon. And I'm nervous. And I'm officially nervous. I didn't realize I had to perform. Excellent. Already caught you off balance. That's exactly what we're going for here. Heavy breathing. Now, I have to say, just to start off for today, that people ask me frequently, what is my fascination with the word motherfucker? And why do I call everybody an MF? And I've done freaking college lectures talking about the word motherfucker. I, I am so passionate about this word. And again, in, in the company before us today, I, I feel like today is the day where I truly embrace the privilege and I share with, with my friends, the people I love, and all of our listeners out there, my fascination. I, I, I can't fully explain, but I truly believe that the word motherfucker is like the embodiment of all things. It's like it's like shalom and aloha, and it, it captures the gamut of human emotion. There's there's happy motherfucker. There's angry motherfucker. There's surprise motherfucker, and 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 it just keeps going. And and I just I embrace the word when we're on the road. When we're on tour, I, it is like my favorite thing to walk down the hall and shout out, MF! And you can hear from doors near and far, up and down, people shouting back, MF! 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 It's like the, 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 the spirit of camaraderie, of, of just brotherhood and sisterhood and love and emotion and just everything that, that everything that is the reason that I, I love being on the road and touring and spending time with this incredible group of motherfuckers. So again, right here with us today, four of my favorites, and uh, I couldn't be more enthusiastic about it. So Ian, thank you for being with us. We appreciate you and uh, just Happy to have you with us. Ian Simon from Strange Loop Studios. You are the youngest guest we've had by far, I believe, as you are only in your 20s. Is that right? I am recently 30. Motherfucker. So it's all downhill from here, baby. Well, fuck. I mean, there goes the whole <laughs> podcast. We may as well just wrap now. Some bullshit. How do we not know this? Do we know this? Did I know this? I haven't updated my bio yet. I'm still. I'm still just writing that that twenties bio, the Wonderkind bio. You know, trying to mm-hmm. trying to extend that for as long as possible. Blatantly you have a bio. <laughs> <laughs> like you're like you're like some important kind of motherfucker. Like you have a bio. What the fuck are you talking about? A bio. I had to write one for this thing. I had to to get my pen and paper out and scratch something together. So you lied, you guys. You <laughs> yeah. lied. You said you intentionally updated it and left in the part about being in your 20s. Is that what you're saying? Uh, yeah. What's, what's the next question, Matt? Let's, uh, let's, uh... <laughs> oh, I'm just playing. Still, youthful but owning a major video company, touring, creating content for some of the biggest artists in the world, The Weeknd, Kendrick, many more. Stepping into the gaming space, I definitely want to ask you a little bit about that today. But uh, Brother Banks, I know you stepped away from a second. Have, have you returned to us yet? I am back. Okay, okay. Because really, Ian, the first question that I want to ask you today, and I think it might be the most important. So 
we're on tour. I'm pretty sure it's Europe because the bus had low clearance. It must have been a double-decker. And you, me, Chris, Kyle, I don't think Dallas was with us yet. The first time you see Brother Banks step onto the bus in that blue terry cloth robe and those super nice leather slippers. Like what, what, what are your thoughts? So I, (laughs) I think that is one of, (laughs) one of the like purest, hardiest laughs I've had in my entire touring career. I've never seen that level of comfort, Confidence and keep in arrogance. mind that was pure arrogance. I, I, I've, I mean, Chris, when did we do our first run together on on Kendrick? I mean, this was after at least three, four years of of touring together, and I hadn't seen this ensemble. <laughs> it was I'm a crying new, right now. It was a new era, man. I mean, you know, fucking needed a smoking jacket too. With that, he was off the chain. Hey, man, it I was, was trying to be it was all of us together. That's that's like the the, the beauty, the magic of that moment. <laughs> I'm glad that memory will give you humor <laughs> lifetime for years to come. It, it was aspirational, honestly. It was like this this is what it looks like when someone's figured it out on tour. Like I always knew you had it locked in from a technical perspective. I knew you were a good guy. I knew your reputation preceded you. But what I didn't know was that you had just hacked your way to touring properly. Light years ahead of the rest of us. I'm living in the future, man. It was eye-opening. Uh, I'm crying right now. Oh my god, I'm sorry. Oh, this is amazing. Uh, Banks, I, I I love you. I love Ian. Thank you. That's. Uh, I mean, we could keep talking about this if you'd like. I I just think that it's brilliant. I feel um, confident we'll come back to it at I, multiple points throughout this conversation. It'll be referenced I, I, again. I certainly hope so. Banks, I you, you might need a refill. I think I'm going to have to go get my own breakfast cocktail today. As you should. Um, or three. Or no three. Fruit. Well, I hear it. I'm feel. I'm actually feeling like a Dr. McGillicuddy's. You guys familiar with Dr. McGillicuddy's? I'm not. No, please inform us. It's it's kind of become a thing among among a few of my friends where, you know, we're all stuck in you know fucking Groundhog Day, and you know we're taking our dogs for long walks just to get out of the fucking house every evening and shit, and and of course you want to take a cocktail with you. But you can't take several. I mean, you could, but it would get heavy, right? But Dr. McGillicuddy's is a liqueur that comes in nips. It comes in full-size bottles, too. And I, I admittedly have both in the house. But they are just, its I'm just going to do a full-on advertisement here. This shit is fucking delicious. I mean, the root beer tastes like root beer. The grape tastes like fucking grape drink. Like, you are drinking fucking, it's more like purple drink. But it's basically the same thing. I mean, the cherry, the butterscotch, I don't really fuck with the mint. That's kind of like a creme de menthe, a little true to form. But this shit, you just suck a bunch of them back as you're taking your walk, and it's it's just a beautiful thing. And I, that's where my mind went. I think I'm going to grab one or several as soon as I shut the fuck up. Anywho. Um, and thanks, nobody, for stopping me. Jesus, what friends you guys are. I was curious. I was writing down all the different flavors. I had no idea what you were talking about. I was like, what on earth is this? There are no mango, so Dallas wouldn't fully understand. Colored drinks? What are we talking about here? Wait a minute, wait a minute. Colored drink? What are y'all talking about? I'm not trying to do like blue drinks. I don't need to. Purple. Okay. Where were we at with it in 2020? (laughs) Natural colored drinks in my life. Anywho, moving on, I guess now that was my cue. So Ian, backing up just a step, tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell our listeners who you are. Uh, obviously, we all, you know, have a lot of love for you, but uh, but they should too. They will too, I'm sure. You know, tell us, tell us about yourself. Yeah, I was, I was thinking about the fact that I think this is the longest I've been in, in one place since I started touring at the end of 2012. Right after I graduated from college, I had like a a brief stint at a gaming company that was irrelevant until 
like the current phase of the smashing together of the worlds of music and gaming, but pretty much went straight into video um, creation and touring at the end of 2012 with uh, Canadian DJs, Zed's Dead. Um, and something I didn't publicize at the fact was that I had only touched video software like two weeks before that tour started. Like I met a buddy who did 3D animation, um, who has since become my co-founder and, and closest friend, Dave Wexler. Um, Excuse me. Sounds like co-conspirator in front <laughs> perpetrated on I don't know how many people. That's that's what it sounds like to me. But please. I mean, he was. It was like a late night that he had. He had just. He was on the road with Skrillex, which 2012 was like big moment for him. Big come up of EDM in general video screens starting to get loaded in at every festival people not really knowing what to do with them and he had a very much like on the fly live video approach that was I think more musical than what a lot of people were doing and he had a bunch of content Zed's Dead hit him up to do a tour he had conflicting dates with Skrillex and I, I literally I can picture his face being like you'll be fine you'll figure it out and like fumbling me through uh, a session in in the Resolume software, which, you know, to his credit, much more important to be musical, I think, when learning that stuff. Like, the content was dumped in my lap. It was just up to me to play it in time to the music and make it look like they were talking to one another. Uh, but, yeah, no, it was absolutely a scheme we um, we perpetuated that that I, I like, I, I fully remember borrowing his tour stories and, like, laughing about them as if, oh, yes, this, you know, <laughs> this, this, this time when Skrillex had to wear the mo- motion capture suit, like, you know, as if as if I'd been there when this was completely a secondhand story that I was trotting out to make it sound like I'd done this once before. But that really but happened. Also, yeah, no, a hundred percent. I I will say though, the first like show I did with Zed's Dead, like I did a couple club, um, like the Avalon in Hollywood, where where Dave came with me and kind of showed me the ropes. But the first show I did was Webster Hall with Zed's Dead, and I remember being really nervous going out front to get some fresh air like 20 minutes before we went on and overhearing two people who were like in the smoking area, like huddled together going like, you, th- you think we should take the, the second tab now or like, or wait half an hour. And I had this moment of being like, nobody gives a shit. Like as long as I play some trippy stuff in the next hour and a half, everyone will be fine. And like a massive amount of pressure just lifted off my shoulders. And it was like, as, as long as you make some trippy stuff happen in these, EDM venues, as long as it's part of a gestalt experience that people are enjoying, no one's like, you know, looking over your shoulder to to make sure that you're. There were no other VJs in the building, you know. Um, and uh, it was on the back of that tour that uh, I toured with them for for like throughout 2013 too, and um, was on the road with them when I got the call about Kendrick. Uh, which was how I met you fine folks. Um, and it was a connection through Flying Lotus, who was a, you know, a LA electronic producer who we'd worked with for since the inception of Dave and I working together. And, uh, and he had done some production for, for Kendrick, and Kendrick was about to go open for Kanye on the road. And, uh, and I was just excited that this was a tour where I wouldn't have to push like I, I didn't think it was possible they were like you'll just show up like at soundcheck plug in your computer test your test card do the show and that's it and i was just waiting for like the load in specs and and you know what what was under my purview other than doing the show and that was like my first white glove experience um <laughs> and I, I literally didn't think this was a thing that you could just go up and there would be like a cable waiting for you to plug in and like do the show um and uh yeah and that was that was the start of of touring with kendrick and meeting you you fine folk um and then you know as our our studio transitioned to making content for many more acts than we could actually go out and and run on the road and a lot of our favorite uh collaborators were people who we'd go out for rehearsal we'd time code the whole thing and the actual video operation was you know triggered from somewhere on the lighting board and it was all it was all done beforehand so that was uh, that was really how how we turned it from just a couple guys touring into into a business and into what it is now. And 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 I love that you made the reference to being a white glove motherfucker because I do love That's talking epic. and making 
poking a little fun at uh, certain white glove motherfuckers that might also be. Yeah, I, I've heard the podcast. I, I know the tenor, and it's fun. I was thinking about it be, beforehand <laughs> because I think I, I think I got that white glove get just like maybe a little too early. Like I did two tours of like pushing cases. But and then, you push cases though. See, white glove is a you have to earn your gloves. They don't just show up. So you push cases. I get it. I get it. Embrace the gloves. Embrace them. No, I, I mean, I most certainly did. <laughs> but, uh, but, and I, I was glad, like, yeah, even having the experience of building a video wall for like a seven week tour. Oh, so is, you're the guy who now takes the audio, but the audio budget now. Okay. <laughs> well, we know that's the truth. I mean, we had that conversation with whoever was, Mike Mickey Kerbishly about. Mm-hmm. Was it Mickey? Who was it? Yes, about, it was. About, Mr. Kerbishly. Video yeah. trumps all. I remember when I went to a show, matter of fact, at EDM, and the video director had now the front of house audio position. I was like, yo, and audio was way in the back of the cut in the front of house position. I was like, yo, this is all, this is asinine. See, I don't think that makes a whole lot of sense, just like from literally a technical and practical perspective. Like, I mean, I it wasn't long before I heard the term vidiot on the road and realized that I was grappling with a legacy of semi-competent video <laughs> professionals that came before me uh, and and was like battling the the reputation that they'd put in everyone's head. But uh, but you know, one of the benefits of of what we do is that you know we we can have confidence monitors. We can be snuck away in the back. We can be upstage, and if the you know it's it's not always detrimental to the show. Um, but I, I think a massive part of it was driven by EDM. There's just not a whole lot going on on stage. And you started loaded. Like, I think that the production almost ran out ahead of the video content where there were all these screens loaded in. And then we'd go to a show and see just like a rotating logo for an hour, just on these massive 60 foot video walls. And you're like, what, what are you doing? These are giant canvases for someone to build a visual identity or tell a story. And, and uh, I think, the industry kind of had to catch up to that. Well, clearly you are one of the more educated and intelligent motherfuckers to be doing this. I do see in this fancy bio that you provided us that you went to Columbia University, certainly smarter than me. I know that much. I, I, and you did reference that you overheard people taking drugs, which made you feel calm as opposed to taking drugs in order to feel calm, which which is a novel approach. I, I hadn't considered just overhearing others as opposed to simply doing them. Yeah, they're not mutually exclusive. <laughs> but but you also use the word gestalt. Like who the fuck uses that word? The fuck does that even mean? Uh you know, just sort of uh yeah, it's, 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 uh, what was the context I used it in again? I don't even know. What the fuck does that mean? <laughs> See, he's the Tony Starks of the video industry. He hits you with that Iron Man shit. Gestalt. That's some complete Robert Downey Jr. shit. I love it. Yeah, I mean, it, it is, it is uh, I mean, something that I think we all do together, right? We're all creating a certain aura around the... Um, the the show that we're producing we're all working collaboratively together to make something bigger than any of the individual elements more than the sum of its parts and uh that's what i look at as the gestalt of the show you know i think that's beautiful are you wearing a terry cloth robe right now by chance i may have placed an order as soon as we got off that tour with banks for my own monogrammed terry cloth robe (laughs) don't forget your uh, eucalyptus case to uh freshen up your terry cloth robe i don't know if you remember that conversation (laughs) (laughs) you have to wash your terry cloth robe in a eucalyptus uh encased covering so that you can constantly breathe fresh eucalyptus air while you have your robe on eucalyptus yeah eucalyptus spearmint jasmine you know whatever fragrance you know floats your boat See, this is so discouraging. You think you have it all figured out. You think you've learned from the best, and then you realize you've only scratched the surface. Yeah, I, I'm. My mind is is just 
blown right now. Is this a thing? Are you are you being serious, Banks? Tell it, it, why are you holding out on us? I mean, share this epic wisdom that you you apparently are holding back. We had this conversation on the bus after we talked about the road for like two hours. <laughs> I think yeah, I think we were still reeling. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, like, like this is still like a, a, a moment of like, wow. You know how you go to a nice hotel and you can order, you know, your pillow from the pillow menu, you know, what kind of type of scent you want. They also provide when you order the pillow, like if you want to buy it and take it home or whatever, you can order an enclosure. It's like a pillowcase almost like a zipped up pillowcase. And inside, you line it with like a fragrance and you put it in the dryer and heat it up. And basically, that scent infuses into whatever's inside that case. This is clearly the most informative episode we have done on this podcast. Like, I I never could have imagined the quality of wisdom that is being passed around right now. You could stay in the A party hotel. Because to order a pillow service, oh yes, I need uh, a goose down. Actually, I need a pillow with no, um, I don't want any to get stuck in it. No fragrance or no fragrance. No goose poking me in the head. Pillows is crazy. No feather pillow. Yeah, I'm sorry, no I'm feathers. all over the place. Or foam pillows. What are you doing? What 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 hotel good. are you staying at? I mean, we've seen the photo. Five seasons, not the four to five seasons. <laughs> I know. Obviously, we, we not saw where the we photo are. Where, where Chris Lee posed with the Obamas while the rest of us were God knows where. Okay, we know ah. the level he's operating on. Oh, Ian. <laughs> we, we can we can only the be so close. Comes out, you know. Man. After after you were entreated to that luxury, and and the rest of us were left you guys, out. You guys were on your way home. Meanwhile, we had to carry the brunt. Had to. Oh my god! Wait a second. Are you telling me that Ian was there and and intentionally left out? I was sent 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 home before the opportunity. Sent home. Yes, yes, yes. yes. We we had done two shows. We were in London. We played what was the Capital Summertime, whatever. Then we wireless, right? No, it was Capital. I think it was Capital Summertime, whatever it was in Hyde Park. And then we flew to New Orleans to do Essence. And then the next day, just a select few of us went to the White House and everybody else went home. But we had to carry the load of the entire crew amongst the skeleton crew. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. <laughs> so you had to take your white gloves off that day? I did. I did. I had to wear many hats. So you wore tan gloves, basically. Yes, my gloves were soiled. (laughs) (laughs) But see, this does dovetail with, with, I think, the the point you're you're starting to make, uh, Matt, which is, you know, there's a certain reputation that in popular culture about roadies or about people building the shows that, you know, doesn't, that maybe it's not the most intellectual group of people. Certainly not been my experience. I mean despite being chastised for using the word gestalt now and then, you know, I, I certainly have never lacked for compelling conversation and, and uh, uh, with the people that I've toured with over the years. And certainly you can't turn your nose up at people who rub shoulders with the Obamas. So um, I, you know, I, th- I think that's a, it's an interesting misconception that, uh, that somehow there's, you know, am- amidst the debauchery that might happen on tour, there's, there's still, quite a bit of, um, uh, you know, you make friends and, and relationships that you carry with you the rest of your life. And some of them are on this call. That's beautiful. That's just beautiful. This motherfucker got me crying. <laughs> so that's a, that's an emotional use of MF. Exactly. <laughs> I don't even know where to go from here. I've completely lost my train of thought, but I mean, you did allude to the fact that we refer to our program as celebrating the working class heroes. So obviously we think there is something something more substantial to uh, the lifestyle of, of the roadies uh, as they are often looked down upon otherwise 
in society. Uh, I, I don't even know what to say, though. I mean, I'm picturing the robe. I'm picturing the gloves. I'm picturing this gestalt, whatever the fuck that is. And, <laughs> I, I, and, and I'm feeling a little bit as a loss for, uh, for, for, for thoughts. Uh, so... Tell us more about the about video technology. Let's just let's let's actually try and be a little more educational about this and 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 make use of that giant motherfucking brain that you have, Ian. And I mean, clearly, the picture that I think we should probably post on the website and our and our, our Instagram of the lighting and the audio fighting with the video guy in the background eating glue is not truly a representation of, of you, though you did allude to your predecessors might actually fit that description, that the bar had not been set especially high when you were able to step in and basically program a high-level show you know, two weeks into a, a not yet storied career and, and managed to pull it off and continue to uh, be here today. And, and again, now that I'm looking at this, this fancy bio and I see, I mean, people that I love, like Anderson Pock, like SZA, like Pharrell, who, you know, others on this podcast also work with. I see David Gilmore yep. of Pink Floyd. That's obviously a pretty cool thing and perhaps speaks to the you know, LSD experience. You're um, but video, te- I mean, we talk a lot about how the evolution, the evolution of technology in the business, that's, you know, what once was a business where you started because you were a merch guy and you were like, Hey, can you just plug in these lights? And you went from there. Nowadays, it takes almost a STEM background. We have a podcast coming up with a young woman from eighth day where she talks about her background in STEM. Um, and perhaps you can speak a little more to the intellect of the expanding video technology at play here. And you talked about the rise of EDM, but, uh, please tell us more. Yeah, no, I think, I think, um, myself and our company were definitely beneficiaries of, of timing and the development of, of the tech for video, I think one of the things we used to see all the time was just the the actual equipment wasn't sophisticated enough to do um, really compelling work. Um, it, it was a lot of stuff that, like, I, I remember going to shows and seeing, the like, as if the video was just completely unrelated to what was going on musically. Like, someone would, would set up and be obsessed with, with whatever they were patching together and making these sometimes very cool, visually abstract, analog patterns, but that was so time consuming that they couldn't focus on actually making it related to, to the music. Um, and then, so I think one of the big changes was, was on the content production side of the barrier to entry for 3d animation and video editing starting to, to be, you know, less restricted to, to people with um, professional rigs and more accessible to people who could kind of, um, fuck around and and create really exciting visuals. Um, being able to to pull content off the internet and manipulate it, um, and then and then programs like Resolute, where this is like technically, I, I remember showing up to a to a gig, and someone asked me like, "Where's where's your media server?" It's like relatively early in in my career. Someone's like, "Where's your media server?" And I was like, "Oh my my what?" And they're like, "The the video." Like, "Where's your media server?" I was like, "I, I have a laptop," and they looked at me and they're like, "Yeah, that's your media server." And I was like, well, uh, you know, I don't, no one calls it that in the normal world. I just have a, a software program and then I send the video out. Like, I think that transition from needing to have some bespoke gear that was, you know, $8,000 or that, that really propelled the, the content creation side forward. And I think it happened at the same time that, like I was saying, video walls started um, becoming just a rote part of production where they were loaded in and, uh, and, and people had to figure out what to do with them because it was just part of building a big stage was putting big video walls in there. And I think the, the other piece of the puzzle is projection mapping. Um, there were a couple like landmark shows like Amon Tobin's ISAM show and a couple other big shows that used really um, incredible projection mapping. And that certainly takes some math and figuring out how to... Um, how to make these compelling half physical, half like uh, mind bending effects with projecting onto, onto custom built set pieces. 
Like, I cannot tell you how many people hit us up asking for a projection mapping show, not even having any idea what actual projection mapping was. They just, they heard that it was cool. They'd seen a cool show that had cool video and they were like, yeah, I want a projection mapping show. And then you start digging into what they actually want. It's like, no, you just have some ideas for content. Like this can be done with an upstage LED wall. But, but there were a couple, a couple, like this all happened in the, in the last 10, 15 years that the, the tech became more accessible, um, a little more affordable. And I think we were just lucky in the fact that we were creatives diving to that space when, when it was becoming easier for other people to get into it and when it was becoming more a um, part of just traditional productions. So, Ian, do you consider yourself a pioneer as well in this industry? You know, I, I can't, I can't take the credit for that. Like I've, I've done tours I'm super, super proud of. And I do think my co-founder, um, Dave, who his moniker was strange loop. Like he and I met making music together, like making beats in, in LA. Like we met through fly low and people on the, on the brain feeder label in LA. And I think his approach was pioneering because he was, he was pulling clips off the internet and like fucking them up in, uh, in, Premiere or or After Effects, and then putting them into a software like Resolume, and people were like, uh, it was head and shoulders above what a lot of people were doing. He's like really performing the video at a time when often it was it was more of a, um, it, it wasn't as performative, it wasn't as like on the fly, and that was like how I was taught to do it. And I think that's certainly was beneficial with Kendrick, like when he wanted to vamp the end of a section for eight bars longer. You could just keep like it was already improvisatory. Like we were already kind of following along with with what he was doing. So it, it helped to not have it be time coded at that point, like early like twenty thirteen. Um, and I think the flexibility of of using a program like Resolume that way, as opposed to being locked into time code or being controlled by the lighting board, which which means you're only giving it so much attention. I think that was relatively new, but I can only take so much credit for that. Like I, I was taught how to do this after after a lot of those things were, were worked out. Does anybody else feel like we should have had this David character on the show instead? <laughs> <laughs> how many of y'all have even met him? We met him. I know you have, Chris. Yeah, yeah. I honestly have no idea. I'm not sure you have, Matt. I'm pretty sure you haven't, Kyle or Christine. Uh, I definitely have not met him. Yeah. Clearly, you've been you've been hiding from us. All all this credit that you've been taking for yourself, I, I, I'm I'm feeling like deprived or like screwed over or something. I I, I, I don't know, MF. Maybe maybe you're not right to be a partner on this thing. Like I, I'm I'm really disappointed in you right now. Listen, all right. I don't want to err too far on the side of modesty. All right, I was the, I was the guy going out to all these rehearsals with all the artists we're talking about, doing the you know actually cutting the stuff to time code, working with the the lighting designers and the stage designers, and um, you know I, I think I, I just think you know we can only take so much credit for for reaping the benefits of video becoming a more important part of like exactly what Kyle was saying like. We, we benefited from video becoming more important and, and doing exciting stuff in that space. And, uh, in my space. <laughs> literally in Kyle's space. <laughs> um, but uh, Okay, but, I'll, uh, I'll let you off the hook then. You're, you're still welcome to hang out with us. Right. Right. Uh, <laughs> I love you, MF. Uh, okay, so obviously, as you said, video technology is really come a long way over the last 10 years. And it's especially topical right now in the age of one live streaming, which is of course another side yep. of video technology. And then also video gaming. I mean, this Travis Scott Fortnite game is like the biggest news in a long time. And, you know, when Marshmallow did it, he did his thing and it was big news and it was cool, but somehow I feel like this one was different. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's just because I've got a 10-year-old son who's obsessed with Fortnite. But, I mean, I saw it. And the, the movie, the music was cool. The gaming component was cool. But the coolest thing to me was that my son and all of his friends were talking about it 
for days before, during, and after. And then coming out of it, you got whatever it was last week, two weeks ago that Dylan Francis and Dead Mouse and Steve Aoki did. And it's clearly becoming a thing. So tell us a little about that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the Travis one definitely felt different. I think part of that was because Marshmallow, you've already got huge demographic overlap with Fortnite. Um, like he he was already streaming himself playing Fortnite. Uh, I think it was it was more of a collision of worlds this time. Even though there was, uh, I know Travis has streamed playing Fortnite before too, but but the hype around it, and then I, I who else saw it? Did Matt, were you the only one who saw it, or Christine, Chris, Kyle? Did you... Yeah, I saw it for sure. I yeah, yeah, it. absolutely. I didn't see it. It, it's almost hard for me to be objective because I thought it was a pretty like I was looking at it from a technical perspective too, and I thought it was a pretty impressive feat just from uh, um, like the art direction first of all, and the um, it was like a lot of the little details, like everything was perfectly synced. Um, even though they had however many million people in these video game instances simultaneously, like everything, it didn't look choppy. It looked like it had been art directed really well so that wherever you were in the game, you could see it from an interesting perspective. And um, a lot of the pitfalls of doing good music related art in video games, I think they did an incredible job of navigating around. Um, and then of course, like I can only imagine the revenue around people buying the Travis Scott skin, you know, which like, mm -hmm. it's just people are going to be playing Fortnite for the next several years wearing the Travis Scott skin and making him do all the goofy emotes and dances that Fortnite has become so famous for. Um, and though I know it was a big undertaking for Epic Games, the, the creator of Fortnite, like they spent months on it. And I think I, I know for at least a portion of that, their workforce was distributed because of COVID and they pulled it together. But yeah, I think, you know, Matt, you and I have talked about it. I think eyes were already turned towards the gaming space just because from a financial standpoint, the numbers there, I, I was shocked by just how much money and revenue is in gaming. It's something like the music industry is it's around a 20, $21 billion interest industry annually and gaming's like 130. It just dwarfs it. So I think people, people see dollar signs in addition to creative opportunities. Absolutely. So when are we going to work on that? Like, let's yeah. Now, like, what the fuck? Why, why well, we now you got to do something right? different, right? Like, now you can't oh, just 100%. do another Fortnite concert. Hundred like, percent. Got to think of the next, the next thing. thing. So, what is the next thing? Why don't you tell us what the next thing is? Well, I I really think that a lot of it is going to have to do with with people not just digitizing their themselves into avatars. I think people need to to open their eyes creatively to the space. Like imagine like my, the way I keep framing it. So I'd be interested in everyone's like, this may apply more to stage designers, lighting designers, people who are looking at the visual components of a stage. But when people are consuming their streams through a digital medium, like what's everything you were told you couldn't do in the physical space. Like I remember we tried to pitch a stage design where there were going to be little tiny, like low wattage lasers on the back of drones. Stupid, stupid idea impossible idea like for a million reasons lasers you need really tight controls over like where they're scanning what the safety areas are you can't really have them running just like uh, on on battery on the back of drones like drone control is still in a pretty rudimentary phase but in a digital setting like all of these ideas are are, are for the taking and nothing's off the table like water right no one likes to tour with water with water features as part of their uh as part of their touring rig um i've seen so many like stage designs shot down because no one wants to figure out how to have a water element as part of the stage design that's because it's a pain in the ass i mean if you've ever i did that actually with the chain smokers and the it, it, the whole room became like a fucking cloud it was like it was yeah, it was a nightmare. But anyway, keep going. Sorry. What you mean from like steam? Yes, I mean every all of the water mixed with the sweat and the heat in the room, 
there was condensation on every surface for days in the venue, on the equipment, on the people. It was steamy, like steamy can be, but I'm going in the wrong direction here. I think what was that? <laughs> Say that again, motherfucker. Moist. <laughs> Why'd you have to get it so close to the mic when you said it? <laughs> it was a little moist. <laughs> moist. <laughs> you know, there's only so moist you can make a real world production, but in the virtual realm, the limit does not exist to how moist you can make a production. That's the real exciting frontier here. Like a Ready Player One kind of world, huh? I think Fortnite is probably the what was it called in Ready Player One? Um, the Oasis. Yes. Yeah, that's Fortnite is probably the closest to whatever that is right now, where you, you enter a world and it's your complete entertainment destination. I think they debuted like the new season of Punked on like a video screen within the Fortnite game, like that. That I think is um, the consolidation, of, like especially in our current ecosystem where people are confined to to getting their entertainment through screens um finding these ecosystems where people already are gathering together and and i I think people just need to focus more on unlocking the creative opportunities like what can you do in the digital space that you've wanted to do in the um live space and weren't able to um I, probably some interesting things from an audio perspective too like the amount of control you have over over people um, when you're not grappling with the, the realities of physical space, right? Like, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know what you guys are doing, I Kyle, have, when you're... I can have infinite PA now. I'm saying, you don't Instead need to blast a... noise, whatever whatever you guys are doing when I walk into to the venue and there's oh, just white noise pouring. Uh, okay. <laughs> those are some fighting words right there. No, no, I'm not being... Laugh. It's literal noise. No, 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 no. Did you, did you motherfucker, stand down for a second. <laughs> Kyle, motherfucker, did this other motherfucker just suggest that what you do is blast noise? He said that white noise is wearing him out. And it actually is pink noise, not white noise. And yes, we have to balance out our PA just like when you guys uh, do your color balancing with your video wall and blind everybody or give everybody a seizure. And we can see your face everywhere as you use as a test print. That is the hallmark of one of my video shows is if my visage is hovering above whoever's uh, whoever's on stage. That's that's my pink noise. <laughs> <laughs> Motherfucker. But I do think it's it's touring professionals who should be thinking about what are the possibilities. Like, well, what are the advantages of doing stuff in digital space? As long as we're stuck here, you know, like. What are what are the audio things you want to be you want to be doing in physical space that are just either a pain or physically impossible that you can that you can do when when you have the level of control you do with people in front of a screen and um, having just a few physical variables taken out of the equation. I, I mean, Ian, I think you're really just kind of broaching the topic of really what is the next wave here. You're talking about you know extended reality, XR, VR, AR, all combined into one. You're talking about the ability to do a you know a virtual show for remotely you're also talking about how you can augment replace accentuate things that are happening in the physical space you're you're talking about you know this next wave where we see and I'm not sure how you make this easier and more cost effective but we're talking about how you can take less people out not we but we keep hearing lately especially in this coronation that when we come back, artists may want to carry less on the road, that they're going to want to figure out how to streamline and tour more efficiently. And, you know, it, the way we come back, XR makes that possible. Augmented reality could offer the opportunity to augment the lighting, the video, the audio, the other components of what's happening in the physical space and still give people more of a show instead of less. Am I crazy? No, I, I think I think you're definitely. I would definitely agree with all that. Um, there was a our 
our video, our D3 programmer, Charles Dabazias, who, who was on Kendrick with, uh, with now us. Now you see for, last name, Dabazias? I always wondered that's, about that's, that. It's my best guess. I mean, I just put it on the record, so let's go with it. Um, Dabazias. But, uh, but he, you know, incredibly gifted D3 programmer, but also just, he, he's worked at a high level in, in television and broadcast production too. And he was the first to really put me on like long before, like, um, like in, in 2018, long before we were actually restricted to, to watching our content on screens, he was talking about how in broadcast, the future is going to be like when you've got more people watching the stream than in the room. Uh, I remember sitting with managers of of acts that we had at the Grammys who were watching the stage and having to like redirect them like no no look at the confidence monitor like look at the program feed this is what multiple millions of people are seeing not the fifteen thousand people in the room right and and I think that that's um an entry point for how can you augment video once once you don't actually have to put stuff in physical space how can you use intelligent like camera tracking and overlay an, a completely value-added level of creativity to to a video feed and to a live performance, um, and I think that that technology is is already there. It's just about um, getting it in the hands of the right creatives and and having it. I think you know the costs need to come down so that enough people can experiment with it. So that it's not just the people using it who are trying to force it to replicate something that's already existed. Like that's going to be key to the the actual next wave of of interesting use of the technology is people getting their hands on it who don't have a reference point like us for for years of concert touring and have no preconceptions of what a show could look like. Um, but then I think you also hit upon something. It's like all right, when people are in the room, how do you use these technologies to make their experience better too? And uh, that's just as exciting uh, an arena because I I do think you know I think we're all. Um, probably under the opinion that as great as these alternatives are to seeing live shows, they're never going to be a full replacement for that experience of being in the same room with other people watching the stuff. And, and that experience is always going to have something special to it. Um, and, and making the experience special for the people in the room is, uh, shouldn't be an afterthought. It should be a priority. Well, I have an idea. Let's, Let's hear it. Not tell anybody about this. Let's never say this in a public setting. Let's make sure we do not podcast this or anything like that so we can keep it for ourselves. And let's do it. Okay, too late. But, uh, yeah, let's say this offline. <laughs> but seriously, no, I am a thousand percent on board for all of that. I do think that's the next wave in you know, modern technology. I think the last point you made, obviously I say that for sake of self-preservation because, you know, my career is largely dependent on our ability to get back on the road and do incredible things. But I mean, I think that, but exactly in the spirit of diversity in the spirit of, of just being ahead of the curve and doing what's next. I, I think that, you know, taking that technology to that next level more so for the people that are in the room, but also so that you can sell additional tickets and have additional revenue, find other ways to monetize the experience and tap into more of that $130 billion gaming industry or whatever the fuck in order to take the concert industry to that next level. Like that should absolutely will, and I'm sure be part of the next wave of, of rolling out. I, I know there are artists that are talking about this. Ian, we've worked with a couple of clients that are thinking along those lines currently, um, doing festivals for them in LA as we have, and, and they are taking those elsewhere across the globe. Um, and, and I do think that will be part of the next, the next thing. So again, keeping that under wraps and trusting no one will repeat this, so that we can be out ahead of it. Anybody else want to change topics? Talk a little more about a terry cloth robe or something, what have you. Banks, please jump in. I'm I'm spitballing about ideas now. <laughs> now we can't talk about them. So now I'm just like, 
I have a question. If I can, um, Ian, I was just curious, do you, you know, we did talk about your youth. Do you find it's more common folks in your field, like all your peers are as equally as young as you, um, or do you find there's, are there older folks in the business that you can look up to? But, you know, I just wonder sometimes like growing up, you guys, your generation was definitely playing games at a much earlier time than our generation was. And if you think that impacted you or made any decision towards your career choice. Yeah, that's it's so interesting. I was thinking about that um when when we were talking about it earlier, because I mean, I even feel like I was like the the kids younger than me who are now experimenting with video stuff and and doing stuff. Like a, a massive differentiation in this space is like whether you're waiting for your stuff to render, which is the conventional way to create animated video content. You sort of set up the scene, you determine where the camera goes, you put all the all the elements in it, you light it, you texture it, and then you sit and wait. And the video game industry has driven forward this um, technology about rendering stuff in real time. Because when you're playing a video game, you need to be able to turn your cursor to the right, and the entire world needs to be able to render in and change dynamically based on what you're doing. And it's completely changed the creative landscape, too, because you're more precious about your moves when you have to wait for stuff to render. You have to, you know, you, it's kind of a pain in the ass to make, make a mistake and then have to go unwrap it. You're disincentivized from um, taking chances and taking risks. So I even look at um, the the kids who are making visuals right now who are um, of the next generation who grew up making their stuff in in video game engines as having a completely different and in some ways more free like artistic vision of of what they can do with video um but and so i think there is like there's something about um millennials and and gen z who just grew up so natively with uh with video content that um it was just like a kind of fluency in the space i think what what i what i don't think ties as much to the age of the collaborators I've worked with is there's just, there's incredible artists and directors um, from, from every generation. Like I, I feel like video directing and cutting cameras and having a real intuitive sense of, of how to do that. Um, it's something that you just can't, you can't substitute experience and, and being able to, to get to know a band too, um, to be able to improvise along with them. I think that's something that uh, you have to learn on the road. You have to learn by doing it. And so the, by virtue of that, the best people doing it are, are people who are, um, who are legends and, and, and are seniors in the, in the, in the space. Um, and I think same with, uh, same with a lot of the stage designers and, and lighting designers who, who are able to see new technical opportunities as as creative opportunities um but who who still have the benefit of of um not being constrained by by what they've seen in the past and, and see it as a um or like continually growing their idea of what's possible in the space that's a fair answer yeah I, it's it's a complex answer i guess but it's um it obviously you know with each generation is good enough, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> but it's it's nice to hear you say you recognize the um, that yeah you have to look at both sides of the story. But I do see a trend. So with folks like yourself, that I, I find you know having conversations with younger and younger people who have more responsibility on the road than perhaps they once would have had in a different yep. department in that same age. You know, so I think that's an uh, for me that's interesting to see. Yeah, and I think I think there's 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 drawbacks to it too. People who don't like I the best designers I've worked with are people who have a, a level of understanding of everyone's piece in the puzzle who like know something about lighting design, know something about achievability in, um, in load ins and set pieces and actually like making the show happen. And that, that, uh, I've seen the opposite too, where someone might have great artistic vision, but be younger and never have worked on shows. And, they end up gumming up the process by having no idea of what's realistic, what's a big ask versus an easy thing to to fix. Um, and it ends up like throwing a wrench in the gears because people start to resent, you know, who is this person at the top? It seems like they have like their, their 
edicts and their their directions are being trickled down to the bottom level and someone has to be like dude this is a completely unrealistic uh, unreasonable request to make at this point in the process and um i think that's like a, a big drawback of as as amazing as as the so you're not a fan of like the Betamax camera following you around and doing some tricks with? <laughs> I think I've seen that recently, but we won't yeah, talk about yeah, that. <laughs> yeah, I... But no, I think it's a valid point as well. Yeah, it is. Um, I mean, yeah, because there's a level of arrogance if people haven't done the work. You know, as we all talk about, like earlier with the white gloves, you got to earn that. You don't just show up. And sometimes when they are younger and they have these abilities, they do tend to kind of skip some of the hardworking process. And um, you do need that wiser, older production manager or somebody coming in saying, yeah, breaks. Yeah, and just <laughs> But people have to listen yeah, to that. Yeah, and appreciating sort of what, what people are doing on a day-to-day basis. If you had a little taste of, of doing it yourself, then you don't take it for granted the, the load-in processes or, or what it means to go back to a, a vid- piece of video content and re-render it with a color change. It might seem like a simple thing to, to do from a creative standpoint, but if you've done it yourself, you're kind of aware of what you're asking someone else to do. And I was also just thinking, like some of the best advice I've gotten in the, um, like in my entire touring career has, like it's almost exclusively come from people with years of experience, not from someone who just is an incredible creative but came on the scene in the last couple of years. Um, like, the, I probably learned more from people who've been doing it for for a while, like by orders of magnitude, than people who might be super talented but are are fresher and greener and, and have less uh, depth of experience. So I think uh, that's also interesting. Do you think you're, you're in a, you going to university makes a difference in your approach as well? Um, the, uh, not, not, not a whole bunch. I mean, and I say that because I I've met people from all walks of life and found that um, there's not a super strong correlation between their like level of higher education and, and their competency in the field. I think, like the best thing I got from it was um, like verbiage around what I like describing art and, and describing like um, ha- having a, some common language with, with people who have worked in the, um, in the fields of, of art. Um, and, and just like, I think like a, a lot, I, I had a, double major and part, half of it was music and focused in jazz. And that was, you know, an experience you can get uh, through out, outside of the, the walls of university too. But, but I think one of the great parts of these institutions is they bring together a lot of really intelligent people and a lot of experts in their fields. And, uh, and, and I, I learned a lot just like going to school in New York with, and, and having classes where really it was just shooting the shit about the, the philosophies behind, uh, behind some of the great jazz that we loved. And I was surprised at how much that actually had a bearing on like when it came to designing a show and improvising along to a band and like what the priorities were. Being able to have a shared language there I think is super valuable, but I certainly wouldn't, wouldn't consider it a prerequisite for being talented in the space. I just wanted to point out that I, I believe the word Ian was referring to and and Dallas while talking about the old and the new. It's actually Kyle Hamilton's favorite word. What is that word, motherfucker? The old and the new? The balance? The balance. There it is. I I also want to go back to Chris Lee for a minute. I I apologize for ruining his train of thought. It sounded like he was on the verge of something revolutionary, and I want to give him a chance to go back on record with whatever that was. Oh, no, I'm good. I'm good. It, it, this is a topic we'll talk about offline. There it is. Well, I, I now, now my interest is seriously peaked. I, mine is too, but I'm also starting to think as we reach the hour marker in, in today's podcast that we've barely scratched the surface on the amount that we could be talking about. And Ian, I, I do think that we should be doing this again and you should join us Uh I, I probably would have encouraged you to be a part of this from the beginning, but when we started up this podcast, you and I had a conversation I specifically remember when you told me you'd never been busier, and the only thought that crossed my mind at that point was this motherfucker. How the fuck is he busier than ever while the rest of us are hold, sitting home on our ass doing not a fucking thing? 
Yeah, no, no complaints. It's been, you know, I think you touched upon upon a lot of it is uh, people trying to figure out how to how to translate music into into video um, is has like never been more at the top of people's minds. But I, you know, this this hour flew by. I would love to come back and dig deeper into this stuff. Was it even an hour? We what just happened? hit the one hour marker literally as you asked that question. Wow. There it is. So I'm going to suggest we wind down for today. I do want to continue this conversation. I think there's a lot more that we could say about it. Um, But before we go, Ian, I thank you very much for your time. I appreciate you. We do have some standard questions we ask all of our guests. I think you answered a few of them already. Your first tour was, of course, Ed's Dead. Your favorite was, of course, being on the road with us. Um, notwithstanding who gives a fuck your best moment was probably seeing Banks in his terry cloth robe although I would like to give you the opportunity to share one other although if you could clearly say there has been nothing that came close and and I would believe you but but please let us know what comes close um yeah god that is that is a high bar um (laughs) I I think you know we were all there for that 2017 damn Coachella that that was one that like I, I think we were all so deep in those rehearsals that by the time that show started, it kind of smacked me in the face of like realizing what a moment that was, and certainly looking at the past three years and um and the shows we've done since then, and then and then Kendrick's career. But um, someone just sent me some videos from that from that 2017 Coachella headline set, and it reminded me what a moment that was. That and uh. The other one that came to mind was, as we were talking, was the full Flex Express tour. You guys ever hear about this tour when when Skrillex and took and Diplo took a train across Canada? Yeah, you were you did that, didn't you? I did, and that was one of there were some moments on that tour that like just in the context of these conversations were so goofy. Like I always used to think about if I fell off that train in the middle of Manitoba or wherever we were. And like, cause the doors were like wide open and there's like a whole train car just dedicated to like a music studio and, and like a CDJ setup. And I was like, someone easily could have just tumbled out of that train car and found a, a cabin in the middle of Saskatchewan or something and tried to, trying to explain. It was like, no, no, I was on, a, I was on a train with, with Skrillex and Diplo and just having someone be like, I oh, sure you were buddy. Sure. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. We'll just, uh, we'll get you right back on that train. Like, I, I think that was one of the more surreal tour moments and one of the one of the, one of the only things that could even hold a candle to seeing banks in his terry cloth it was a pretty impressive uh canadian accent too could you do that a little more ah yeah sure hey listen if, yeah i'm not i'm not a dog and pony show here okay if you want if you want to get me to do a, a more accents you can frig off and we can talk about it offline okay but you can't come at me at 60 kilometers an hour like joel Otto of the calgary flames okay it's yeah, not what we're here to do you kind of veered into the Irish in that last one. I should have had one of, one of Banks's tequila sunrises. Oh, you that usually that. helps. You need that. Or, or several. Um, well, there it is. So, Ian, before we wrap, two more things. One, any additional wisdom you want to impart on our listeners without giving away the secrets of the world and how we are going to dominate? Please let us know. You know, one of the best pieces of advice I got, I was thinking this, Christine, when you were, when you were asking me about stuff I've, I've learned from, from people who have been in this industry a lot longer than I have, is um, the super gifted stage designer, um, Ez Devlin, who, I, who we worked with on the weekend. I remember there was, uh, we've all probably experienced some version of this, but We'd created some video content according to a deck. Uh, we, we debuted it. We we're looking at it at rehearsals along to the music. And it wasn't working. And I remember as turning and saying, like, ah, this, this, isn't, this isn't really working. Like, this, this doesn't work. And I remember immediately getting defensive and being like, I wanted to pull up the deck PDF that we'd, like, sketched out exactly what we were going to do for this song and, like, justify the fact that I hadn't fucked up and hadn't made a mistake and, like, like, no, look, like we did exactly what we said we were going to do. Like this was according to, and I remember she cut me off and was like, yeah, like, cool. No one's blaming you. Like, 
how, but you agree it doesn't work, right? Like we're looking at it now, like who cares who, whose idea it was? Like it doesn't work right now, right? And I looked at it, I was like, no, it doesn't. She's like, great. So why don't we just skip this whole section and move on to fixing it? And that like stayed with me so much through all of my like creative and technical and like business interactions with people. It's like, just le let the blame go and like move on to fixing it. And I think you'll have much more productive and, uh, and personable relationships with people. I like that. Impressive. So shout outs, parting shots. What do you got? Dude, man, the people I want to shout out are on this, on this podcast right now. West coast. <laughs> West Malibu high over here. Chris Lee, Cherry cloth. Christine. I, I was just thinking Christine about our, our, what, what was the, the, the diamond ball, you guys remember? Oh, the, which one? The which whichever one? the one that Kendrick played at. Oh yeah, yeah, that was what was that? A couple years ago, yep. I think. three years yeah. ago. Cipriani's on Wall Street. Um, oh yeah, might have been our first year at Cipriani's, wasn't it? I don't know. That was my first and last, but that was okay. <laughs> I feel like I've been there a few times since then. So yeah, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean that was uh, like you know you get the people on this call have absolutely made my touring experience is what they are. You know, I think we've all, we've all worked with, with a couple of the same people too. I mean, I definitely want to shout out my, uh, my strange loop team and uh, so much of the stuff that I took credit for as Matt was rightly pointing out was me taking notes and then sending an email and then presenting whatever I got in return as if it was my own. Um, and, and so you can't underestimate the, the impact of, of, the, the teams working remotely to make something like video especially happen when there's only so much you can do in the moment. Would that fall under the category of gestalt? <laughs> let's let's lump it in there. Let's just let's just <laughs> make gestalt a, a catch all for the for for the next show too. I still don't know what it means, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> You've had an hour and six minutes to Google it, man. I did, and I'm still confused. It's okay. Um, <laughs> I'm just going to leave that alone. Ian, MF, I love you. I appreciate you. You've been awesome. Uh, we've had fun today. I definitely want to keep doing this uh, with you, with, with everybody, Kyle, Chris, Dallas. Um, today's been fun. I, I literally have tears in my eyes still from the, the initial Terry Cloth robe conversation, and uh, that will carry me through the day. I, I know people at home are like, what the fuck is he talking about? Why is that funny? It, it just is. Wait, that's got to be the picture. That's got to be the picture associated with this one. We got to get, uh, it, Chris, we need you to be. do it. I, I think it's going to be our title. I, I don't know why, but it's like Terry Cloth robes with Ian Simon. I, 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 <laughs> I, I don't know what's going to make anybody want to click and, and listen for that, but uh, but I do. Um, I, I, I don't know. We'll figure that out um, or not. Um, but thank you. Uh, it's It's been fun. Uh, any? Uh, what, what are your socials uh, so our listeners know? Um, I'm at, uh, on Instagram at, at Blount underscore B L U O U N T. And then we're, we're just strange loop studios on most things. Um, yeah, we got some, uh, we got some cool stuff coming up. So let's, uh, yeah, let's find another time to do this again. I uh, can't wait for that. We are HLUB podcast on Instagram. As always, you can email us. You can, of course, DM us there. You can email us at info at hustleikeyoubroke.com. Today has been fun. I'm going to go get me a Dr. McGillicuddy or several, and uh, we'll see you guys the next time. Thank you and goodbye.